0: Thanks for downloading and listening to a Quick Timeout Out podcast presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. If you're in the market for a shooting machine, look no further than Dr. Dish Basketball's incredible lineup of shooting machines. Their CT, All-Star Plus, and Rebel Plus models have been bought by thousands of programs around the world, while their home model is being used by players all over the country, right in their own backyards and driveways. New to the lineup this year is the Dr. Dish facility model for those with basketball training businesses. These machines are must-have for those looking to take their shooting to the next level. To find out more, visit drdishbasketball.com. We want to welcome to the show Coach Brianna Finch, Assistant Coach for the Boston Terriers Women's Basketball Team. Coach, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited.
0: Yeah, a a lot of D1 programs, they have their student-athletes back this time of year, and it seemed like once upon a time they, they were about the only ones that had student athletes in the summertime but i know even at the high school level depending on what state you're in and what your conference rules are or whatever you get four weeks or a month with your players i know some places they're meeting kind of open gym regularly for you all there at boston you how important are these summer workouts and not just for maybe developing players, which you can talk about that, but for what you guys project and are wanting once you get them back on campus for the fall semester itself.
1: Yeah. You know, for us, the summer is incredibly important. Um, Honestly, like for the, not, like you said, not just necessarily for the basketball piece, but we do. We actually do a lot of like team building, teamwork. It's a great opportunity for our freshmen, our incoming players, to transition, kind of get their feet wet a little bit before we go into the fall semester, where it's you know full class load, everything's coming at them. They get just a little bit of a taste in the in the summer of what it looks like. But for us, we do. You know, we're allowed the eight hours, um, eight hours every week four hours on court, four hours with our strength and conditioning coach. Um, so again, that piece for us, I don't know, uh, I'll start kind of just give a brief overview of what that looks like. We do, you know, at BU, we do of the, those four hours, two hours are actually very specific individual work with one player at a time and their position coach. So like I work with our point guards and our combo guards. Um, so I'll have, you know, 45 minutes to an hour with them twice a week. Um, one at a time. And then the other two workouts are group-based or team-based. So we'll have, you know, either four or five players or our entire team for the workouts. Um, And then, like you said, we we use those, you know, that time plus we use one of the hours to, you know, of our non-on-court time to work on team building, communication, you know, what are the pillars of our program? What does that look like? Things like that. And just kind of try to, you know, get everybody on the same page, like you said, so that when they kind of building that foundation so that when they do come back in the fall, because they'll get about two weeks after our summer ends before they have to be back for fall classes uh, to really, you know, have them ready to go so we hit the ground running because that season comes quick. Yeah.
0: Do you feel like with this day and age and the transferring and, the, you know, the, even the freshman has always been there, new players coming in, but do you feel as a staff even more pressure to make that time valuable?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, You know, and even more so for us like this past summer, last summer was our first summer here. So not only that, you know, not only were we coming in and trying to build the foundation of the program, but we were trying to build relationships with the players, they were, you know, they didn't know us, we didn't recruit any of them. So it was, you know, a very, you know, very, very good opportunity for us to do that now going into the second year, a same thing, but I think the relationship building piece is monumental right now, especially at the landscape of college athletics. Um, You know, I think so in general, but, you know, given everything that's going on, like you said, with the transfer portal, and we've been really lucky. We didn't have anybody going to the transfer portal, um, you know, but we work, we work really hard on that piece. And, you know, we work really hard throughout the recruiting process moving forward as well.
0: Yeah, I can't remember what kind of tweet it was, but I was, it was something alluding to that I, I made about alluding to the culture piece of it. And it's interesting to hear what you all value and the time that you allot to each of those pieces. The player development aspect of it, I think for us at the college level, all of us, doesn't matter what level, but like the person development and investing in them, them investing in us, that way that bond between the two becomes even more important. And the carryover from those culture, pieces and those culture moments that you have and what happens out on the court. And I do want to talk to you about what happens on the court. You know, maybe again, another time we were talking about topics for this, maybe we can come and talk (laughs) about culture piece some other time, but what does the learning process look like and what are you aiming for in that learning process and also like creating the learning environment? Like what does that look like in those two types of sessions that you talked about the individual and then also the team setting?
1: Yeah. So, and I'll, and I'll kind of touch on the culture piece within like how it kind of intertwines with the basketball piece, because I do think they very much go together. And I learned that I, you know, I will, I will be honest when coach Graves, our head coach said, you know, we're going to do two sessions where it's just you and one person in that session. I was like, I don't like, I, cause I'm, I'm a decision-making person. That's I'm a small sided games and you know, I'm like, what am I gonna do with one person? You know, because that doesn't, you know, translate into, you know, what it would be like, you know the game, like the reps, the small sided games, the decision-making. So I'm, you know, I had to kind of take a step back but I, I did very much learn that that is not only are we building basketball and some skills and things like that, but it it definitely has been an important piece for the culture and developing relationships um, and using that time to get through to the players in different ways and learn their learning style. So that being said, you know, what we're trying to accomplish in the individual and how I approach, you know, what we do with, you know, our point guards and our combos, um, you know, we break it down into micro skills. Uh, I think if you try to tackle you know a big broad skill it's it, there's just not enough time and you it gets lost and you end up accomplishing nothing okay. um so you know we have a player development plan you know i sit down with the player we sit down with the player this is what we you know these are two in the next you know we'll have five sessions in this summer so in these five sessions of summer leading into the preseason, you know for the fall what, what are the micro skills we want this player to get better at? Um, you know, maybe it's, you know, we have one player who needs to get a little bit better playing off the catch. So everything we're doing is working on playing off the catch. The big one, you know, that I will, we finished up with the spring and we'll carry in, carry into the summer and fall is shot variability. You know, we want them being, I just want them being comfortable on all kinds of different footwork and, you know, things like that. And we try to kind of, use the micro skill sessions to build the habits, emphasize some of the variations, you know, obviously on air stuff that we then carry on and into the group workouts where there's defense, there's a decision-making component, and then we're more game-like and we're more live. I will say the other big thing for, you know, for us and for me is the terminology piece and establishing that terminology piece with our players it's a long-term goal of mine to create like an onboarding for our freshmen coming in where it's consistent terminology and we're, we're a work in progress. I mean, obviously this is our first year, so I'm giving us a little bit of a break, but I'm a perfectionist. so I want it now, but so that it's, you know, it's consistent. It's, you know, easy for all every, not easy, but it's consistent for everybody to understand and we're all on the same page as quick as we can be. Um, So I think, you know, helping especially at the our position, the point guard position, we want that to be as clear and as concise as possible. Um, so, if we can kind of you know approach our individual and our eight hours, a, you know, a week in the off season, and have those as our two main goals, I think then that's what we're kind of trying to do.
0: I'm really glad that you talked about like the the one on one, and you know I'm the same way. I love the games and I love the playing and I love the decision making. Yeah. But sometimes you just have one kid in the gym, and I'm too old and I don't want to get hurt. And I don't, I don't <laughs> play with them. Uh, but but it's those. I still work on on air stuff. I know nobody likes cones. I'll bring out some cones sometimes in the summer, middle of summer, just to mix things up. But if it's teaching a micro skill, the thing, right. then I do feel like sometimes if we. St- are exclusive with all games-based scenarios, you kind of sometimes miss the opportunity to get some reps on footwork and some of those little things that, that will are the foundational pieces for the big skills that we do want to address in those, those bigger scenarios. You mentioned terminology as well, and I'm coming to the same conclusion, but just so that maybe somebody that's listening to this, I think everybody understands the importance of communication and more our understanding like terminology for our program but what are some things maybe that you all use with your program that that ha- help with player understanding and can you give some examples of that terminology
1: sure yeah i mean i think we talk a lot about so one thing we've you know in our first year and moving forward we want to play faster you know we want to play in transition a lot that's going to that was kind of building that foundation and moving forward continuing to you know utilize going cross court. So we talk about going up the street, going across the street. Um, you know, so when I, you know, say to the players, like we got to get across the street, they know, you know, very quickly, you know, what we're trying to accomplish within our position group. We, they will probably hear this in their sleep. uh, Because I said it so many times in, you know, in the spring, and going forward is talking about scanning the floor. So I want our guards scanning the floor, we're constantly scanning, we're seeing the next layer of defense, we talk about navigating space a lot. Um, So you know, being able to we run a lot of ball screen motion. Um, So coming off a ball screen and just kind of being comfortable changing pace changing direction in a, you know in different spaces in different areas so how are we navigating that space how are we changing pace in that space but that's a quick way for them you know I'll have taught it taught it and we will have gone over it but now when we're in a game or we're in a practice like all I have to say is that you got to navigate the space over you know on the right wing a little bit more you got to get into that second layer and scan a little bit more and they know kind of quickly what we're talking about You know, and then I just I sometimes it's very informal as well, you know, it's eyes up, you know, quickly eyes up is a cue I use a lot defensively, like high hand, you know, basic things like that. But, you know, I think those are just short cue words that quickly get things across. And, you know, I tend to ask a lot of questions. I don't give a lot of I'm very particular on feedback, I guess would be the best way. So I want players to self learn and self organize as much as possible.
0: A quick timeout podcast is sponsored by 3 on 3 Hoops Hub. If you're a basketball coach looking to grow your program, raise funds for your program, or build your basketball business, you're going to want to check out what 3 on 3 Hoops Hub can do for you. 3 on 3 Hoops Hub has run over 350 three on 3 basketball leagues for thousands of kids since 1997 and is helping coaches all across country do the same. 3 on 3 basketball is the ideal format for players to get more opportunities, work on all skills and positions and have fun playing competitive basketball with their friends. You can bring 3 on 3 to your community and do it like an expert by learning from the best 3 on 3 hoops hub free training. To find out more and get access to the training, simply click the training3 on 3 com qto link in the show notes below. I feel like those individual skill sessions are the times where I can talk a little bit more and explain the concepts. And then once you get into four on four, five on five, whatever it is, that sticky language really helps convey large paragraphs in a very quick amount of time. And you don't have to stop and have the conversation over again. I I can use that this week with my campers. Uh, No, no idea about who I was as a coach or whatever, but showed up and just the concept of shoot it, drive it or move it. Yeah, You know, we talked about it, but then we got in the game and you immediately saw improvement and an increase in their decision making. They were making faster decisions because I took away other things that they maybe had to think about. And it was just shoot it, drive it or move it. And the simplicity, I think, of that language not just conveys, but allows them to think faster um, and not be distracted with other things and be thinking about other things. Yeah, that's really good. And and you talked about the feedback and tied that into the feedback as well. I I did want to ask you about that. You know, Another one of those things we all as coaches understand the importance of feedback, but I think a lot of us are always trying to get better at giving feedback and when is the appropriate time to give feedback and how much do you give during your workouts with when you're working with players? And uh, is it different than what you do during a, a team practice or w- one of the larger group settings?
1: That's a good question. So first, first with the individual kind of sessions. And yes, it is different. I will preface it. It depends on the player. Sure. Um, every player is different. There are obviously some players. I, I honestly could, I went home one day after one of our spring workouts and I probably said, I remember telling my husband, I'm like, I probably said like five words in the entire hour workout she's very self-directed. Like I'm, and, and most of those were, and five of those, those five words were probably a question (laughs) to be honest, you know, whereas other days they may need more. So I kind of, you know, at this point in my career, like I, I have a pretty good read. Um, I, I tend to let them play through a lot and learn a lot in a, especially in a workout in an individual workout, I'll let them kind of go two or three reps before I even think about giving feedback and and kind of gauge their understanding, or I might ask a quick question and, you know, based on their response, if they need more, if they need more feedback, because I feel like they weren't really seeing what I was seeing, then I give it if they, you know, see the same thing, then we move on to the next skill or we move on to the, you know, the next rep or whatnot. Same thing, I kind of have the same approach and a team setting, although Again, my feedback's probably more concise because it has to be quicker um, in a team and when things are moving a little bit faster. And I, uh, I probably tend to hold it a little bit more, too, in a team one just because again, in practice, I think that's their opportunity. They have to learn. They have to learn. They have to self-organize. They have to work with each other. It allows them the opportunity to communicate with each other and you know, help each other and coach each other rather than our voice or my voice. So I, I think that's, I, like I said, I tend to give more like feedback and longer feedback probably in an individual session, but it depends on the session
0: call out a person's name and you lose them for about 20 to 30 seconds as they try to re refocus on what they're doing. I can only imagine, too, some that maybe come and watch our practices. Maybe you feel this way, but coaches maybe that come and watch and see me not say something and the thought of he's letting that go or he didn't miss that or, you know, why wouldn't he stop and talk? Um, have you have you found that you you're better at living with that chaos and living with sloppiness?
1: Yes. I'm absolutely comfortable with it. I'm secure. like, I think I'm, I'm very secure in my experience. Were you always experience. like that? N- no, yeah. no. You know, and I think it, again, I think once I became a head coach, so, you know, I was an assistant for 12 years and then I became a head coach and was in a head coach for three years and then have been a, an assistant again. I think once I became a head coach and kind of found my voice and put myself in that situation, It allowed me to gain confidence in a different way. And that has allowed me to be very secure in my coaching and my philosophy and being comfortable, like as a coach with chaos and not saying anything and not worrying about what other people think, you know, or what, you know, might be said. But I I do realize that most coaches do struggle with that. And it is hard. It is hard. And it's not everybody's philosophy either. And I, I understand that piece too. But for me, like it, uh, I very much in the same way, like people would walk in when I was a head coach and walk into the gym and would probably think like it is pure chaos, you know, but, and, and watching our team, like that's the other thing, like watching my team, I never called, I probably had, we had two transition offenses that we flowed into. And then from there we flowed into our motion and that was it. Like, and I didn't call it, my point guard called it. And, you know, I was pretty quiet on the sideline and I trusted her. And, you know, I never knew what was going to happen, but neither did the defense. So
0: what are the long term benefits of that that you've seen with players, both individually and as a group?
1: So one, it's more fun to play in, I think. And I think but the biggest thing and this is ultimately why I coach it 100 percent empowers the players. They knew that I trusted them, that they weren't going to be taken out you know, when the minute they made a mistake and it allowed them to play more free. Uh, you know, I, I know for sure, like I can give a specific example of how it helped us in one game. You know, again, when I was a head coach, like our best player, she was, she was high risk, high reward as I like to call it. So, I mean, she could drop 40 on a night and she, or she could have 10 turnovers, but, you know, I kind of had to ride with her and I trusted, you know, and, 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 it, her turnovers weren't because she wasn't going hard and you know and I told them like as long as you're going hard we can live with some of them and and she ended up you know had a, we had a game it was the end of the game there was you know time was winding down I didn't call a timeout we rode with the possession she took a crazy three-pointer that I'd probably seen her hit in practice a lot of times that most coaches probably would have freaked out about but you know, I, I had confidence. I knew she could hit it. I'd seen her do it before and she knocked it down and we ended up winning the game on that. So, you know, I, but her having the confidence to take that shot and know that I, you know, was I wasn't going to call a timeout. She, I was going to let her ride. I think that's kind of the situations long-term that you hope your players get to, you know, and again, I think at the end of the day, that's just kind of where my philosophy lies. You know, you want players to feel empowered. You want it to be fun. You want them to know that they can make mistakes and still be successful in the long run.
0: Let me go back and talk about what you're doing this summer. Having that method of player development and the improvement that you see over the course of a summer, what do you see now in the preseason that you didn't see then working with this style of development?
1: And there's a couple things. One, the trust piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it has allowed us To really, a little bit quickly, a little bit more quick, um, develop that trust with our players. Um, Again, and that kind of goes back to the relationship piece. But I, I probably didn't understand the value of that as much as I do now. Um, Not necessarily that I didn't think relationships were important, but that you could quick, like that you could build the trust so much quicker doing it this way. I would also say, kind of uh, to what you alluded to, like. That on-air, like players are much more comfortable in that space because it's a little bit more common. It's a little bit more what they're used to. Mm-hmm. And so I know from my approach in other times where it was all small-sided games or all, that was very overwhelming for them because it was so much unfamiliar territory. Right. Um, and so I think having that more familiar piece to them combined with the unfamiliar creates a much better balance i guess so i think that's that's been something i've definitely learned over the past couple years um and found to be and and again it goes back to like i'm not i've you know i don't think on air like you said on air is there's a time and a place and a purpose you just have to know what the purpose is i think every every drill has a function as long as you know what the goal of that drill is you know and making sure that it ultimately is fulfilling what you, you know, what problem you're trying to solve and making sure they align, but there's definitely, you know, an opportunity to do anything. And I, I, but I, those are the kind of the two biggest takeaways for me.
0: I saw somebody the other day discussing concerning small sided games. You know, you mentioned about your players, like being prepared for something like that. And I, I do, I found the same thing. Like you throw them into that and it's so foreign to them. Yeah that it can be very wild. And there is, is a—I mean, I do think there's a fine line between like sloppy and like, I don't know what's going on here. Like what what, what exactly are we doing here? But I saw somebody the other day talking about like the manipulation of space Mm -hmm. and I guess you could do time as well. But do you have any preference maybe for the kids that you are bringing in that, that don't really have that much experience or it could be like they're not as familiar with the system that you all have and so they don't really understand the concepts necessarily at the beginning do you feel or do you all practice maybe either using half of a court or or giving them a whole space, big space to play in? Um, you know, I've got small kids right now. Yeah. I'm sometimes OK with them just like coloring all over the piece of paper. I don't know if we feel like that. Like, how do you feel about that when it comes to actually the execution of the games?
1: I will say sometimes it's not a bad idea to give them, the adv- you know, the uh, complete unstructured and then pair back. So sometimes, you know, depending on, you know, we may, and I think there's value in like, again, like you said, kind of letting them go the whole space, color wherever they want to color, you know, it's going to be ugly. But I think that also kind of allows you to then evaluate where some of the weaknesses are, and then you can rein it back in and then add the constraints, you know, whether it's time or space, I tend to, like to add constraints on time because, like I said, one of the things we're trying to do better is play faster, and not necessarily in the full court, but just like you said, thinking faster. Everything is the one second rule or the half second rule, so that is kind of where we tend to go with a small side, get a three-three on three, four on four kind of thing first with a constraint rather than space necessarily. And and that's at our level. If I was working with little kids, I'd probably be tend to be a little bit more toward the space constraint. But if it's a group where we already kind of know what our, you know, weaknesses are, where we need to try to build on, then I would probably just, you know, start with a little bit more of the constraint and then let the chaos come a little bit later. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, just going back through everything that we've talked about, you're very intentional about what you do. Like there's a reason for the things that we're doing. And I would guess most coaches would say that. But really, uh, the execution of it and does it make our team actually better once the games start happening and not just better, like we're a better team, but like, are we actually playing the way that we want to play? Like for you all, it's the same thing with us. Like we want to play faster. okay? are these things that we're doing in the offseason and with our small side of games and the constraints that we're using rather than just I saw this cool small side of game on Twitter that looks like it helps develop this skill but does it help you accomplish the goal of what your overall philosophy is, right. um, I think is a really key, key piece to it. And this may seem like a random question, but you are also the recruiting coordinator there. And I had a coach ask me this and um, I know that you're going to give me an answer that shows what I just said. Like everything is together and mixed together. But the, you know, he asked me what a lot of coaches well, high school coaches will ask like, what are you all looking for in a player? And in that reply, you know, I think most are going to hear like, well, he must be able, or she has to be able to shoot. And yes, but like how does how you all play and even how you practice, how does that impact who who you're recruiting, the type of girl that you're recruiting there?
1: Yeah. So. Decision making. <laughs> That's. um I will say And do they and,
0: necessarily have to be good decision makers when you see them like great decision makers when you see them or is there something that can clue you in? Like that person could be a great decision maker.
1: That's a really good question. Um, cause it's, it is something that's hard to necessarily put into words as a, as a recruiter, as a coach watching a potential player. I do, I do think that it can be developed So I think cluing in on what, you know, if I saw a kid and what could potentially, I think, again, going back to the very, very beginning where I talked about how we, you know, use the navigating space, even, you know, if I I see a player that can understand change of pace, you know, and again, this is for like, you know, a guard, a perimeter player, but I I would say the decision making piece is also the same for the post um, position where we're evaluating. There's some obviously differences on different things, but you know, if they understand how to change pace, if they understand, um, you know, how to get collapse the defense, like to me, that's another big, you know, it becomes like if they're able to collapse the defense, but then don't necessarily know what the next read is. Mm -hmm. But I can see them maybe trying or you know, having part of that skill set, I think that is something where you maybe we could develop from there. And that could be something, you know, because not all players have that ability. So can you know, they have the first layer, can we then build the decision making piece on top of being able to do that? Or um, vice versa? Do they see you know that pass, but they just don't have the skill set to make it yet. Then I can see they understand the decision making piece. They just need to develop the ability the ability to make that pass, whether it's you know being a stronger with their left hand or right hand or you know physical things that you know maybe we can develop in the weight room, things like that. But um, I do I, I definitely that's the first thing that I look for, especially like I said from the guard position as well.
0: How do the skills then the rest of the, that we typically think of, how do they rank for you Not to rank all of them, but like, how do they <laughs> rank for you? Um, and how is that important to the system that you run there?
1: Shooting is very, very high on our list. Very much value shooters posts that can rebound outside of their area. That's a big one. You know, obviously again, going back to how we want to play playing in transition. So a high motor kid at every position, I, I tend to, think I don't think skills are necessarily in isolation so and I do I think decision making is a skill mm-hmm. um so I probably tend to view it a little bit different I guess sure um you know ball handling things like that like you know if a kids handles a little bit loose they constantly have to turn their back to the defender to be able to get by like that's not great to me um okay. they may be able to do all the ball handling drills in the world but if they can't handle you know a defender on them and have to turn their back, then that's kind of a red flag to me. Right. Um, but I do think some of that stuff for us at this level is a little bit secondary.
0: For those listening reason I ask is just so you can hear from a, from a coach, like what, what are those coaches looking for? And if you're not asking that question of a school that you're interested in, you're probably doing your kid a big disservice because when they go there, then they're probably I've talked about this other places, but expectation as far as like what I think I can contribute versus what the coach thinks that I can contribute. And that's where you get the butting of heads. And then, you know, that coach doesn't like me or they like this other okay. player player. It's like, no, you just haven't met the expectation. So yeah, that's good. Uh, last thing before I let you go, where can people connect with you on social media?
1: Yeah. So I'm on Twitter at WBB coach Finch. I'm pretty active on Twitter. can, Message me. I'm usually if you message me or DM me, I usually share my cell phone number. Um, and I'm happy to talk basketball anytime I can. So I'm happy to share whatever I, you know, whatever resources I have or know or anything like that. And and then my email is on the website, bfinch at bu. So Damn. I'm on Instagram, but that's still a work in progress. <laughs>
0: We only have enough time for one or two platforms as college coaches. Right. <laughs> so great follow on Twitter. So make sure that you follow her there. As Coach Brianna Finch, Assistant Coach for the Boston Terriers. Coach, thanks so much for taking some time to come on the show.
1: No, thank you. It's my pleasure.